0: we excited about this section 89 little emma smith word of wisdom
1: apocrypha vienna jacques
0: look at you yeah. vienna jacques yes one of two women mentioned in the doctrine yeah. Covenants. we just mentioned both of them
1: i'm excited to learn more about her so i'm looking forward to what you gotta say
0: today's your day yeah
1: all right <laughs> uh, welcome before we get into our discussions should we follow up on what we read yeah let's do it So today we're in Doctrine and Covenants, sections 89 through 92. Uh, In these sections, Joseph Smith seeks revelation for the school of the prophets and he receives a health code called the Word of Wisdom.
0: The Lord is also going to direct Joseph Smith to establish the first presidency and he is going to help them to understand the importance of not being ashamed.
1: He then receives a revelation on the Apocrypha, which he's told is mostly translated correctly, but also contains some interpolations of men. So there's a few different things we can talk about today, but we're going to focus in on three in particular, uh, namely the Word of Wisdom, the organization of the First Presidency, and the Apocrypha.
0: So in order to help us to dive deeper into the Scriptures, understand the context a little bit better, we have invited our good friend and colleague, Ben Bickman. Ben, would you come join us up here? Welcome. Yes.
2: Thank you, Barbara and Daniel, for the invitation. I'm delighted to be able to talk with you.
0: So Ben, you are an associate professor here at Brigham Young University in Physiology and Developmental Biology. I am, that's That's, right. That's
2: a mouthful, isn't it? That is a
0: mouthful. And you also research obesity and metabolism, which we're excited to hear about. Yeah, yeah, I'm
2: delighted to uh, join you guys on this discussion. When it comes to the food we eat and what it does to our bodies, it's something I've devoted a lot of time thinking about.
1: Uh, So, Ben, before we jump into the the sections, I'm wondering, as you're reading through these, did anything uh, jump out to you as significant or especially meaningful?
2: Yeah, the word of wisdom, I think in a way, that being one of the main topics we'll discuss, Mm Um, helps us understand that God cares about our bodies. If God says it's important, then we should also consider it important. Right, exactly. Yeah, thanks.
1: So maybe we can jump right into it and talk about the Word of Wisdom first.
0: So we know that in section 88 of the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord has actually commanded or invited uh, Joseph Smith to establish the School of the Prophets. They're having some majorly sacred experiences, but in the process of so doing is they're smoking and they're, they're chewing tobacco. Joseph recognizes that this is probably not the the best place to be doing these kinds of things, but this was common during the day. Emma, she was cleaning up afterwards and a few other people as well, and she was kind of frustrated by it. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of in the context of where we're getting section 89, is Joseph is actually thinking about this and wondering, you know, what is the Lord's law of health?
1: Ben, what is the kind of spirit of the law here? What is the principle underlying the word of wisdom?
2: Yeah, this is something that uh, is a very delicate topic for many people. They feel very strongly about the word of wisdom. I don't believe Joseph Smith was attempting to create a very specific line-by-line diet, Mm -hmm. which you do see in some religions, especially those that were developed around the same time that the gospel was restored. President Packer, 25 years ago or so, I think kind of challenged that idea. There is no diet that is prescripted by this religion. It is rather a principle. And the principle includes some sentiments on specific foods. And it is open enough
0: that we can find our own way. President Packer is one who talks uh, a number of times about the connection between the body and the spirit of the mm-hmm. soul of man. And yes. this promise that's associated with this, it seems very spiritual. I'm just wondering if you can guide us through some of these contextual insights regarding the soul and the, sure. and the body is that okay in this yeah you have the
2: mind of a metabolic scientist yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah buckle up yeah I'm, we're ready <laughs> so
0: he, so here's the promises associated uh, in verse 18 we really start there and all saints who remember to keep and do these sayings walking in obedience to the commandments shall receive health in their navel and marrow to their bones and shall find wisdom and great treasures of knowledge, even hidden treasures, and shall run and not be weary, and shall walk and not faint. And I, the Lord, give unto them, promise that the destroying angel shall pass by them as the children of Israel and not slay them. I always find it's a little bit fascinating because, you know, we all die, so I don't know how the destroying (laughs) angel is always passing by us. But really, to be a little bit more serious, what about this spiritual and physical connection here?
2: With my students at BYU, I highlight um, Morianton, in the Book of Mormon and Morianton, you may recall, it says that he did justice unto the people, but not unto himself. And that's a concept that really struck home to me when I was a, a very young, new father and my daughter was playing on a playground and there were some other kids playing and there was some other parents with their child and the child ran over to the parents asking for some candies. Mom and dad gave the kids some candies and said, here's a few, don't eat any more. you've had enough, this isn't healthy if you eat too much. And then what did mom and dad start doing? they immediately started eating those candies by the handful. It made me mindful of my own tendencies as a parent, saying to my child, you've watched enough TV, it's time to turn it off. And I would go watch three hours of some TV show. And so there's this concept of, we know what is good for someone, and thus we ought to do it ourselves. It's really more of an encouragement to pay attention to what we are addicted to, and live a life in a way to help manage those addictions. Excellent. We
1: have a, uh, a video from a viewer at home who asked a question regarding this.
2: Hi, I'm Jax
1: um, from South Weber, Utah, and I have a question about the word of wisdom. I was just wondering, with reference to like pharmaceuticals and prescription medication, what, are our, what is our stance and how should we use them, even with them being highly addictive? So how do we use them and should we? Ben, you were talking about kind of this individual prudence uh, when it comes to what we ingest and what we don't. Um, Can you
2: speak a little bit more to that? Joseph Smith touched on what I believe at the time were the most relevant addictive substances, tobacco and alcohol, for example, and he could have never imagined modern-day pharmaceuticals, which are a blessing but, of course, have another side. It's a double-edged sword. So modern-day revelation, I think, fills in that gap that further highlights the relevance of being mindful of addictions. Right, exactly. Yeah.
0: And I do think it's important then that we also do focus on this idea of when we are working to be physically fit, taking care of our bodies as much as we can, that there are treasures, uh, knowledge, and, and hidden treasures that are available to us as we are able to think through that process.
1: Yeah, not just have a more alert mind if you're avoiding kind of harmful substances like alcohol or whatever, yeah. but just the, the life experience that you get from something yeah. like that. Like, yes. yeah.
3: So when my mom was listening to the missionaries, And her dad was addicted to cigarettes and alcohol. Mm -hmm. And when she learned about the word of Islam, she said that really Mm -hmm. stuck to her because it was really something that was affecting her life. Mm -hmm. Today, I'm really thankful to her that she was the one that had the courage to break those bad traditions. Mm -hmm. Because of her, I learned that that's not good for me. and, Mm -hmm. And I think the world suffers with that. They just don't know about the word of Islam or they are in an environment that it's hard for them to, to leave those bad habits.
2: I can imagine your mom being so thrilled to hear that because she'd been trying to get dad to quit for so many years and she says, now God wants you to quit too. <laughs> so she had extra ammo. One of the unique aspects of, of the church and, and our doctrine is the value of the body. And that's reflected in modern revelation. God has said, the soul is precious. The soul God has also said is the spirit in the body. Not to say we're all going to be able to fit into those pants we want to wear or look good in whatever swimsuit we want. I'm not saying that at all. There's no measuring tape at the pearly gates. It's rather, I think, what did you learn from having that body, that little bit of power this body gives you? Did you wield it well? Because I want to give you more. I need evidence that the little bit of power you had from these bodies, you managed it well. You learned how to control it. You did? All right. Now you're ready for more. Can I ask a follow up yeah, question please. for the audience?
1: I'm not sure I've ever ran for an extended amount of time and not been weary. How do we reconcile this idea that these blessings aren't received by everybody who obeys the word of wisdom? And yet we have this idea that, you know, if we do what God says, he's bound uh, to bless us for it. Yeah.
2: It strikes on a really personal level for me. And if the summer of 2018, I suddenly contract an autoimmune disease. It attacks my joints a lot of the time. So it's like, oh, I can't really run anymore. Mm-hmm. or I- I can't even stand for a long time without
3: feeling faint. There are some days where I'm like, I couldn't do it alone, but Christ is able to
1: fulfill those blessings in ways. And maybe it's not what we only expect or want at the time, but
2: it's always enough.
1: Excellent. I love that idea because we learn things beyond um, our embodied experience, the faith and hope and and the different Christ-like attributes that you've cultivated in this experience of the body. It just demonstrates that these laws are not just temporal, right? They're also spiritual and they help us grow closer to our Heavenly Father. Excellent. Thank you for that
2: we will experience all the highs and lows of of mortality and the challenges that will be inherent in some bodies from the moment of conception. But there are still lessons to be learned. Where someone has dealt with a physical affliction for so much of their lives, that is a person who in a way perhaps might have mastered those lessons better than someone who had been blessed with good health throughout their life.
1: I mean, the body is not only a tool for helping other people, but also the soil in which the seed that is your spirit grows into what it needs to be. Yeah, well said. One question I did have, verses 12 to 15, The flesh of animals and birds I have ordained for the use of human beings with thanksgiving. Nevertheless, they are to be used sparingly, only in times of winter or cold or famine. The same thing with grain, only in times of famine and excess of hunger. So are we still beholden to this? Is there, is there some wiggle room for new times, new context, new
2: reading of the law? Like, What do you make of this? That seems to be, in my experience, the only verse that anyone ever remembers literally. Eat meat sparingly. <laughs> and they almost use it like a club to beat you over the head yeah. into a sort of pseudo-vegetarian diet, which can be fine, but people would only look at the eat meat sparingly and then think that then it's carte blanche for everything else. It's just controlling meat. But in fact, the verse immediately prior to that, verse 11, mentions every herb in uh, in the season thereof and every fruit in the season thereof. And I think it, that further reflects the danger in attempting to literally interpret the word of wisdom. Mm. Whereas one might say, well, you're eating meat and you're eating too much. It should be only eaten sparingly. That person could then look at the other and say, well, you're eating an apple and it's winter. <laughs> and winter is an apple season. Yeah. So you're eating it out of season. So you're just as guilty as I am. Those are two you know, tongue-in-cheek examples. And I don't mean to speak lightly of what I genuinely consider to be revelation. But I do think... If someone attempts to literally interpret only one little verse, mm-hmm. logically, they have to go all the way. Yeah. Importantly, that word sparingly, which can be weaponized, unfortunately, President Benson said that to him, that word means to avoid the indiscriminate killing of animals. And we actually see more context to that term um, sparingly in d 4921, we read, and woe be unto the man that sheddeth blood or that wasteth flesh and hath no need, not to only eat it in a certain small portion of two ounces, but it is rather to be used very deliberately and, as noted, with thanksgiving. And I've known people who say, well, we're not going to pray for the food because I already know it's clean, it's sterilized. It's almost like to that family, offering a prayer prior to a meal was only a way to, kill, you know, harmful bacteria oh, yeah. or something, <laughs> when in reality, I think there's something beautiful expressed in DNC 89, in the Word of Wisdom, where it says how these are to be used with thanksgiving. When we are praying prior to a meal, we should acknowledge that it doesn't matter what we're eating, whether it is from an animal or a plant, it died for us to eat it. I do think there's something beautiful about that, not only in the physical realm, but even in the context of the atonement. Something suffers and it is a blessing to us. That might create a moral dilemma for some. I don't think it needs to. I think it simply needs to be acknowledged and gratitude um, expressed for
1: it. And I mean, just to kind of conclude, I think I mean, we've been talking about what is the spirit of the law. I think it's it, it's here in verse 11, you know, how are we to eat, how are we to drink uh, with prudence and thanksgiving, knowing uh, the needs of our body in whatever state that is, getting wisdom from the Lord and always expressing gratitude for, for what we have.
0: Thank you, Daniel. This has been a wonderful discussion on the word of wisdom. Thank you, Ben. Let's jump now to the topic of the first presidency. This is gonna come specifically in section 90 of the Doctrine and Covenants. You can see in the section heading uh, that this is a continuing step in the establishment of the first presidencies. April of 1820, the first elder and then the second elder are actually called of the Lord. In 1831, we have the Lord speaking of the president of the high priesthood of the church. And then in March of 1832, we have Jesse Gause and Sidney Rigdon called as counselors. We've talked about this before. Jesse Gause actually ends up uh, leaving the church and Frederick G. Williams takes his place as a counselor in the first presidency. And then we have a march of 1833, the responsibilities of counselors and priesthood keys of presidency are now revealed. And this is what's happening in section 90, the Doctrine and Covenants. You can see that Joseph Smith, he's going through this process of trying to receive revelation. He's told that he is the leader of this church and he is the one who has the authority. But now he's actually being told a little bit more about the presidency and the presidency's keys that they hold. So in verse four, Nevertheless, through you shall the oracles, or another word for oracles is revelations, be given to another, yea, even unto the church, and all they who receive the oracles of God, let them beware how they hold them, lest they are brought under condemnation, thereby and stumble and fall, when the storms descend and the winds blow and the rains descend and beat upon their house. So we're being told now that this is the first presidency of the church that's really in charge of making sure that doctrine is correct.
2: I think there's something wonderful in this conversation that is so relevant to today where people feel so strongly on certain issues and elder maxwell touching on this idea of people attempting to speak for the church based on their own thoughts and opinions and philosophies he said something to the effect of why would you want to fashion the church in your own image it's not the church of of ben And, and he emphasizes that it is in christ's image that we're meant to be and to me there's something so comforting now more than ever as things seem so chaotic of believing and looking to people who speak for God and they aren't swayed by the issues of the moment uh, that might work themselves into a church or, 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 or a doctrine. Thank you.
0: I think knowing that there is an established prophet of the church helps in that the revelation
1: he receives we can know with a surety is something that is meant for all of us, not an opinion of a man, but... Revelation of a prophet, we can lean on him and know that what he says is true. What he says is something that we should be doing. Just speaking personally, I think I have more of a tendency to default to what is easy and the path of least resistance. Whether it's uh, you know something I believe or something I do, I I want to do something and believe things that are convenient, that profit me, that demand less of me. Maybe human nature is like that, or maybe it's just me. Um, I think having a prophet who convenes with God and receives instruction for for all humankind, that helps me to have a direction when I perhaps don't have the willpower to receive that kind of wisdom on my own, I
0: guess. That's great. Thank you. There is one other thing in this section that I love talking about, and she's overlooked. It's rare to say she when you're talking about the Doctrine and Covenants. Uh, Has anybody in here ever heard of Vienna Jacques or Vienna Jacques? One person, that's fantastic, thank you. (laughs) She's actually not very well known in church history. There are only two women that are discussed in the Doctrine and Covenants. It's Emma Smith, section 25, and then we have Vienna Jocks in section 90. In 1831, she was 44 years old. She was seeking for truth, and she found it. She actually has a vision of the Book of Mormon. She basically knows that this is true, and from that point on, she becomes a strong and active member of the church. She's a single woman, and she has been saving this money. She gives it to the church, and she continually is just giving and giving and giving. So we see here in this section, section 90, verse 28, it states, And again, verily I say unto you, it is my will that my handmaid Vienna Jacques should receive money to bear her expenses and go up into the land of Zion, and the residue of the money may be consecrated unto me, and she be rewarded in mine own due time." The Lord is basically giving her a blessing that she should be continued to be taken care of. So she ends up becoming a very strong proponent of the church. She goes through a lot of trials. Shortly after this, actually just a couple months later, she was there in Missouri where Edward Parchers was being tarred and feathered, and he loses the papers for the Book of Mormon, and she actually goes and she grabs all these papers and she holds them, and she actually saves these documents. She continues on throughout the history of the church, and she ends up in Salt Lake City before she passes away. She passes away in her 90s. Actually, when she passed away, this was said of her, she proved a savior of life as pertaining to the church's pecuniary or financial concerns. Throughout her life, she continues to support the church and the church really to depend on her for her financial ability. So single woman, a strong member of the church, often overlooked, but the impact of one individual can be huge. There's a lot more that we could read and understand in context of Vienna Jocks, but I just thought for a moment, let's just give her a little bit of context, a little bit of time.
1: So this has been a great discussion on First Presidency and, and Vianne Jacques. Maybe we can, now we can transition and talk a little bit about the Apocrypha. So we get a discussion of the Apocrypha in section 91. In this section, so Joseph Smith is translating the Old Testament uh, and included in his Bible are 14 books known as the Apocrypha. Uh, so the word Apocrypha comes from a Greek word, which means hidden or, or secret. There's nothing actually hidden or secret about them. Um, They exist in English translations, but what they are is they are 14 books that are in the Greek and Latin translations of the Hebrew Bible, but not in the Hebrew itself. They're written from around 300 BC to about 70 AD. So Joseph Smith essentially wants to know, should I translate this and is there value in it? So this is what he says, verses one and two, there are many things contained therein that are true, and it is mostly translated correctly. Um, There are many things contained therein that are not true. Uh, which are interpolations by the hands of men. And then he gives guidance regarding um, how to read it, uh, if you do read it. Whoso readeth it, let him understand, for the Spirit manifesteth this truth. And whoso is enlightened by the Spirit shall obtain benefit therefrom, and whoso receiveth not the Spirit cannot be benefited. Therefore it is not needful that this should be translated. This wasn't considered scripture, but the Lord is still giving him instruction on how to derive benefit from it. And I'm wondering, is there a lesson there?
2: My insight is admittedly very unique. I am a scientist Mm -hmm. and I will never forget my PhD mentor once told me that a scientist is a seeker of truth. It resonated with me, this idea that as a scientist who studies human metabolic function, I am attempting to learn more about the body, A a truth if you will. So when I read verse five, that verse is of course referring to the Apocrypha. I can't help but look at that and wonder how much that can apply to sciences there's something very relevant in this exact moment in time where people around the world are so interested in what scientists are teaching. And I think that there's value there and there's also danger. Just because a scientist is saying something is true doesn't mean it is. We need to go through the same process that Joseph Smith is highlighting here, we need to view things through the lens of the Spirit, whether it is the Apocrypha or whether whether it is a scientific manuscript.
0: Or whether it's a religion professor. I mean, I say this to my students all the time. You know, I'm doing my best to have the doctrine as pure and clean as I possibly can, but I may be wrong at some point. Please make sure that the Spirit is confirming to you what I am teaching. Truth is truth, but the Spirit will confirm truth if it's done in the right way.
1: Not just scripture, not just science, but anything. Like the Spirit can enlighten our minds such that we can derive truth and discern God Uh, in in almost anything. So we actually reached out to one of our colleagues, Dr. Jared Ludlow. The apocrypha is one of his uh, primary research interests. And we asked him, what have you learned from engaging with this body of literature? And this is what he said.
3: Hi, my name is Jared Ludlow. I'm a professor of ancient scripture at Brigham Young University. And that's a great question, Barbara and Daniel. I think probably the biggest benefit is it helps fill in some of the historical gap between the Old and New Testament. We have about 400 years between Malachi and Matthew and the Apocrypha tells some of the history and stories of the people between that period. Most notably the book of the Maccabees that tells about the Maccabean revolt and some of the issues that they faced in a Gentile world increasingly being dominated by the Greeks and how do they deal with it and what do they do. There's also some some fun stories about Daniel, a different version of Esther, and some other wonderful tales and wisdom literature with great sayings and uh, a lot to learn. Uh, A good variety of texts that provide a lot of great insights to the kind of religious atmosphere uh, that Jesus was born into.
1: I actually pulled out a few passages from the Apocrypha that I was thinking maybe we can reflect on and see if there's any kind of wisdom we can derive from that. So this is from a book called The Wisdom of Ben Sirach. It's a book akin to the book of Proverbs in the Bible. They're pithy sayings that kind of teach uh, concise principles. So here's what it says. Have you sinned, my child? Do no more sin, but ask forgiveness for your past sins. Flee from sin as from a snake. For if you approach sin, it will bite you. Its teeth are lion's teeth and can destroy human lives. Those who hate reproof walk in the sinner's steps, but those who fear the Lord repent in their heart. What do you think about this? In what sense are a snake and a lion, how, why are those appropriate uh, metaphors for, for sin? Yeah.
2: I feel like lions and snakes can both be very dangerous if you don't watch out for them. Mm-hmm. But if you watch out for things like sin, then you won't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you think lions and snakes would... Attack you in different ways.
2: If it's like a rattlesnake, it might rattle. Uh But as you like slowly drift away, then it might be like a
0: lion where Mm -hmm. it sneaks up on you more.
1: Yeah, excellent. Thanks for
0: that. That is a very insightful comment, Crystal. (laughs) Thank you so much. It was very good. Yeah. Thank you. I
2: think that Crystal's comment about the snake, you know, rattling its tail. That is the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something so beautiful in yeah. that analogy that there is a warning. The sin isn't warning you, mm-hmm. but you have your own rattle, so to speak, that will warned. tell you you're getting yeah. close. The moment that thought pops into your mind, don't entertain it, or as Elder Maxwell said, it begins to entertain you. Mm. Stop when you hear
0: the rattle. And again, Chris, that was really good. Eventually it'll sneak up on you. You become so callous to it, you stop hearing the rattle. Yeah, really great comment. Excellent. I like the analogy of the snake and the, uh, the lion. They're both gonna kill you, right? Um, other analogies used, you got bears and you got mosquitoes. Well, everybody knows, to stay away from the bear. Not very many people are really mauled and killed by bears. We are more hit by the mosquitoes, you know, the little sins. It's those sins that get under our skin that we're not paying attention to. Mm. That, that maybe we need to watch small, out for.
1: Right? Yeah, the yeah. small things mm-hmm. that build up. Yeah. Uh, so this has been an excellent discussion on the Apocrypha. Thank you so much for your comments.
0: Ben, we really do appreciate you being here with us today. You've had a a lot of expertise, and I think you've helped us here in the audience, um, and as well as those at home in a very profound way. So thank you. My pleasure, thank you. And we'd also like to thank you in the studio. We appreciate your insights, your comments, your thoughts, suggestions, your testimonies. Thank you so much for being here with us today.
1: And to those of you at home, thank you for your comments and questions and insights that you shared with us via social media. Uh, We'd love to have you in the studio sometime with us, but if you can't join us here, we hope you'll join us next week on Come Follow Up. Thanks. Thanks so
0: much. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.